We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Eurostep podcast. My name is Kane Pittman and I am joined by my friend Ty Windish, who I'm not sure. He might have spent the whole entire night, morning, day, I don't even know what the hell time it is over there, crying because it was a rough night for USA basketball, Ty. It wasn't the best night for USA basketball ever, that's for sure. I didn't expect... Uh, something like this against France, to be honest with you. Uh, I know everyone thought Serbia was the main opponent. I know a lot of people watching this from a very Team USA, very non-international basketball perspective sort of breathed that sigh of relief when Argentina beat Serbia. I was not among them. I mean, obviously, if you can beat a team, you're a pretty good challenge yourself. But Team USA doesn't even get to to find out how they'd measure up in this tournament in, the, in this stage of it against uh Argentina, and they won't get Serbia until the, 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 what is it? Is it called the consolation bracket? I can't remember what they actually call it. The loser bracket, basically. Yeah, it's because of uh, the loss to, uh, to to France. But no, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's, well, classification around is, is the, oh, uh, if we want to get, you know, uh, I guess, accurate with our FIBA um, wording, but uh, they will. It's, it's, Shocking, I think, and, and not so much shocking that USA lost because uh, we we thought and we've been discussing over the last couple of podcasts, and certainly we're not alone uh, in terms of people that had uh, you know some real concerns about this team USA team and the way that they came together. Uh, not only the people that weren't there, but what you were seeing on the floor from this group. But um, it's probably more shocking to me that uh, you know Serbia also went down at this same stage. So we we really went. Uh, the whole tournament thinking that even though there was some concerns about Team USA, they were just going to win and they were going to find a way to win and get through to the final and probably, uh, or, you know, in, in a lot of circles, you know, it was thought that they were going to play Serbia in that final. Then it was someone like, okay, well, these two are going to be uh, playing off in the semifinal now because uh, Serbia lost. Uh, now 
they're playing off for fifth and sixth position, which in itself is shocking. No matter you know what what team uh, USA had at the World Cup, they still from top to bottom, you know, all NBA players on that roster. Uh, this is a, a really disappointing result. It is, and I think I think something that's interesting about this the the result here, and you look at the teams that are making the the semis. Argentina and France on one side, Spain and Australia on the others. Something that I think is underrated by a lot of people when it comes to international basketball. I mean, if you had to name one thing those four teams all have in common, I think before even you said the top-level talent, they do all have to a degree. It's continuity, right? Like these are these are squads that have played together a lot. Uh, even if they have some newer members, I mean, some of the guys have been here for a while. and Obviously, they're talented, but I think that is something that is crucially important here. At this in this sort of competition, and I think Team USA almost never has that for a lot of very complicated reasons. Uh, sort of did for a little while there in, in Coach K's run, but I mean, I think Carmelo is the only one who had three golds, so it's not like a lot of guys are competing for a decade here. But I think usually you see that USA has been just so overwhelmingly good with the NBA players that it hasn't mattered. Like they've overcome that lack of continuity. And I wonder if – and it's, it's, this isn't Olympics, it's FIBA Worlds, which is I think we, it's pretty obviously seen as less important by a lot of the, the American NBA players. But I do wonder if this, is, this should be a turning point where maybe some of these young guys, even with this disappointing result, the focus should be keeping these guys and building that continuity for the next few tournaments because I do think that had a really big impact. Because I think you know a lot of people are blaming some of the guys who didn't go and talking about those guys. Listen, I, I think it'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to argue that top to bottom, any of these teams were talent-wise better than Team USA. I don't know if that was the issue. I think we'll talk about specific things from this game in a little bit, but I think program-wide, my biggest takeaway from, from this result was maybe, maybe there should be a, more of a continuity feeling, more of a, a Team USA tradition set out that carries over a little bit because I think that's a clear disadvantage for the American side. No, I, I really agree. And, and I think, um, you know, certainly I can speak from an Australian perspective and, and obviously covering um, the World Cup for, for Basketball Australia, I can tell you that these guys, after every single game, no matter who it is, they get up on the podium at the press conference and they talk about uh, how proud they are to play for Australia and how much they look forward to being together with this group. Now, I think that the continuity is a little bit more difficult to get for USA. And the reason for that is that you've always got this turnover of talent. Like every single four years, whether it's the Olympics or World Cup, the talent is always turning over. Whereas for a country like Australia, you think back to, to all the way back to a couple of Olympics ago, multiple World Cups, uh, the guys are all still there. You've got Patty Mills, Matthew Delavidova, Aaron Baines, uh, Andrew Bogut, Joe Ingles. These guys have been around and played together. So the continuity is almost forced in a way because uh, it's a little bit different now. There's more talent coming through. And certainly the world game uh, in all these European countries are getting stronger uh, and have young talent coming through. But that continuity you talk about uh, is forced with other countries or has been forced in, with other countries that USA just simply uh, is not going to be able to do because you can't, if you're Team USA, you can't say, well, this is our squad moving forward for the next Olympics or the next two Olympics and really form that bond. Uh, that's just not the way it works with, with, with American basketball. So uh, I do think that that um, is an issue, but there's certainly to me, when I would look at this uh, Team USA team, I think the word I used on Twitter last night was uninspiring. <laughs> and uh, I think that that's how I felt when I watched this team. 
you know, maybe Kemba Walker would, would hit a few shots at, at some point. Uh, maybe Donovan Mitchell, you know, obviously last night played a pretty good game. Um, and, and then, you know, I know Harrison Barnes had a couple of good games. Chris Middleton obviously had a really good game against Turkey. I mean, but it never felt like there was genuine, I don't know, the, the camaraderie with this team. It didn't feel like they were, uh, you know, desperate to win or desperate to be there. And, and that might be harsh. Maybe they were, but uh, I just agree with you. I think that there was just something missing from this Team USA, but I'm not really sure how you change that. And I'm not sure if the USA is going to be capable of winning that way. I think the way that they've won through the years has simply been by our talented teams. Now, clearly, with none of the you know top 10 players coming uh, to this tournament, uh, you know the, the playing field is a lot more even. So the question really for me is whether or not the top stars uh, want to make playing for USA a priority. Uh, clearly, for the World Cup, it wasn't. No, that that's beyond obvious. And I think, and I, I don't know if this was done at all. I mean, obviously, I, I don't think. I think there's a lot of sort of murkiness behind what goes in, uh, what goes into recruiting. Like, I don't even. I couldn't even find online anywhere exactly like who is making these decisions. Like, there's a Team USA board of directors, and obviously Pop and Steve Kerr are the coaches. I, I don't know how involved Jerry Colangelo still is. I think he's still on the, the board of Team USA. I don't know what that means exactly, but you know, it, it would have been interesting at least and maybe it would have been a failed gambit but if you know during the season or whatever like when when the team is being assembled so to speak i don't think it would have been the worst idea to try and start a sort of effort for more continuity you know like say hey if you're a good young american player and you play here you know you can stick around like you can stay on the team we won't boot you in the olympics for the the top 10 to 15 guys who decide to show up for that like I, obviously, you're not going to you know, say no to a bunch of those guys. You're going to try and figure it out whenever you can. But I wonder if it would have been optimal to, to sort of make it clear that like we're going to value the guys who play in all these tournaments when, when the NBA season isn't running. You know, Donovan Mitchell, guess what? You came and showed out. You get to be on the next three Team USAs, like as long as you want to come. Like it's dangerous if you do that for everybody, obviously. You don't want – I mean, just like someone who's not very good to end up with a lifetime Olympic ticket because of a weak class. But I, I don't know. I think there could have been more of a sales pitch about forming another Team USA group. And I, maybe that did happen behind the scenes. Like I said, I can't speak to that. But it didn't feel like this was ever a group that was you know, sort of coronated as these are the future guys to be on Team USA. A lot of them were young, but it, that was just never something that I really saw expressed anywhere. And uh, maybe that's good because they didn't have, like you said, it wasn't a very inspiring effort from this group. A lot of them in their first time on the team was it was Mason Plumley the only one who had been on Team USA before? Uh, Kemba Walker, I believe, has, but but certainly Plumley was the only one that got a gold. I, I think he was a part of the last World Cup. So um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't an experienced squad. And, and the interesting thing for me now is going to see uh, is going to be. Uh, what the fallout is from this with Team USA, as you said, is there a change in the program? Is there a change in in thought process? And again, I'm not sure how you do this. Um, you know, Team USA did already qualify for the Olympics, so you know, thankfully, uh, despite this you know really poor result, uh, they still have avoided going through the uh, qualification process, which is a good thing for them. But um, 
uh, you know, it, it, for me, uh, I'm really curious to see now whether some of those big stars, and I'm sure that they they thought, and I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily talking LeBron unless he wants to, you know, play one last uh, Olympics, which he might. Um, but I, I think it will be interesting to see whether some of these stars, uh, these top ten players, now go. Okay, all right. Well, you sent the C squad and they couldn't get it done. Let's just come back and sleepwalk through the Olympics and get another gold medal and use it as a point of, well, you know, if we want to play, we can beat anyone. I, I don't know. It's which again, as you sort of talk about, I don't think that's changing the attitude with any of this. Um, I think that sort of needs to come from, like you said, a guy like maybe Donovan Mitchell. I'm trying to think if there was anyone else on that team that you know, could really potentially be a top, top star uh, that's young. I know people talk about Jason Tatum. I'm not buying that. Uh, I, I don't know, but I, I do think it has to be a new wave of young guys that prioritize and say, hey, no, you know, playing for Team USA is a real honor and I really, really want to be there and I want to win uh, at every single tournament because that's what these other countries have. Uh, they have real pride of, of playing for the country and trying to, you know, in many ways, knock off the U.S. and, and win a medal. So uh, certainly I think the game has changed a little bit and it's going to be interesting to see uh, what path the U.S. go down. But uh, in the end, uh, a really impressive win for France last night. Uh, uh, they they broke away uh, to a double-digit lead in the third quarter uh, and then USA, really on the back of Donovan Mitchell, uh, opened up a seven-point lead in the fourth quarter. Mitchell had 29 points uh, through three quarters in this one. And then uh, France come back and, and pinch it. They win 89 to 79 in the end. And uh, that was a pretty uh, disappointing fourth quarter. And, you know, like you said, we're going to go into it. But there was some curious rotations. There was some curious decisions. Uh, it was a weird game. Yeah, I mean, just one last note before we hop yeah. into the game. Do you know how Donovan Mitchell could really impact his legacy as a, as a basketball player? Go ahead. You got to do what players are doing in the NBA now. You got to recruit. Imagine how impressive it would be if Donovan Mitchell talked some of his young NBA teammates—not teammates, but yeah. NBA's, yeah. you know, colleagues, so to speak—into into playing for the team next time. I'm not talking about the Olympics. I don't think about that. I hope they don't have many problems. If if this is the same squad that shows up for the Olympics, that would be bigly concerning to me. But if Mitchell got more of the young guys, if he comes back and gets more of the young, talented players to go at the next World Cup, that would be cool. I, I think that would be very impressive uh, for, for anybody. But this game, the, the thing I highlighted right after, and I mostly followed this one along online and, and then watched a bit after because it was early workday hours when this game was wrapping up. But I think the centers combined to play a hair under 16 minutes. Uh, Mason Plumley, uh, Brooke Lopez, and Miles Turner in a game where – Rudy Gobert plays, I think, like 32 and absolutely goes off, like 21 points, 16 boards, I believe. Uh, just, I'm just not sure what the what the idea there was, especially considering, you know, for going small, right, like the advantage of going small is to space out the offense. I mean, that's why you do it. It doesn't really help you. I mean, I guess to space out the defense too, but that primarily, like, you want to run teams off the floor, and you do that by – generating three-point looks if you're going to go small against a big center. I mean, we've seen teams do this to go bear over and over, especially in the playoffs. And Team USA ends up, I think, shooting 23s. I'm trying to load the box score right now. The FIFA website is slightly less than I do. Well, you're going to have some trouble. Did you just say FIFA? You're going to have some trouble looking on the FIFA website there, uh, Ty. 
Oh, FIBA website. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm so I'm so American in this podcast. They, Team USA goes seven for twenty. Uh, Team France goes eight for twenty three. So France t- ends up taking more three point shots than USA does, despite being the team who plays the big center for most of their minutes. Which clearly something there just went wrong. Like I know numbers aren't everything. You have to watch the games. I, you can weigh in in a second as someone who watched the whole game and 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 I think confirm this, but. If you go small and don't play centers and get eaten up by a center, you should definitely be taking more threes than the other team. Like that just that's why you do that. That's the whole point. If you're going to go small and give up the boards and then not even take advantage of the spacing, that's just not a good formula. It just doesn't it doesn't make logical sense. Yeah, and and that was really the way that it played out. It was it was kind of strange. I thought that the as the game moved on, Pop would and you know maybe this was silly of me to think that Pop would concede and change uh, plans like as, as the yeah. game was going on. But I mean, the, the, it was too many times where uh, Rudy Gobert would get the ball uh, in the paint and he would have Marcus Smart or, or Jalen Brown guarding him, and it was just too easy. Uh, I mean, it it was just not working. And I know Miles Turner picked up a couple of fouls uh, early in this one, which which maybe sent him to bench to the bench in in the first place. But he had to go back to him. Miles Turner Miles Turner plays ten minutes. Uh, he only has three fouls. Brook Lopez only plays four minutes, and Mason Plumlee one minute. So the centers played a total of fifteen minutes uh, in a game where, as you said, Rudy Gobert twenty one points, sixteen rebounds. Uh, and three block shots on the other end as well. I mean, Gobert was a real factor. France have obviously had huge contributions from Evan Fournier and Nando DiColo as well has had a huge World Cup, a guy that Pop obviously knows pretty well. But uh, so, so those guys out in the perimeter did their thing. They, they scored 40 points between them. But, uh, you know, again, I, I don't... And the only reason I'm bringing this back, just so people aren't just like, "Wow, this guy wants to talk about Australia all the time." But the other night, when you when you looked at the the France Australia game, and this was close again, so this could have been one bucket either way. Australia won 100 to 98. It was very clear that Australia made a point of uh, it made the point that that Rudy Gobert was not going to beat them in the paint. They they had Andrew Bogut in there, they had Aaron Baines in there, Jock Landau, a bunch of guys, and any time Gobert touched the ball, uh, he was swarmed. Now, obviously, DiColo and Fournier had big games still, but Rudy Gobert in that game finishes with eight points and four rebounds and only took four shots because he never got the opportunity to because he was playing on centers. And I I don't know when I was watching that game last night uh, how Rudy Gobert was allowed to dominate the game the way that he did. Uh, It was clearly the the difference in in the game. Obviously, like I said, the guards are going to score their points. They're going to get their shots up. They're going to put up their threes. But uh, the Rudy Gobert decision is just really puzzling for mine. Especially because it's not like this is, you know, this is like some guy on on Team France who like plays in in the EuroLeague and no one could have really seen this coming. And, you know, you could if you really paid attention, but – like the the book just wasn't out on this guy who like no it's Rudy Gobert he plays in the Western Conference where Pop and Steve Kerr both coach they play against him all the time Steve Kerr's teams have ran him off the floor playing small before but like if if you're not gonna get the three point shots up and I don't know how Team USA didn't with some of the shooters on this team like and and you see this this domination handling happening in front of you should at least be like right let's play some of these big guys we brought three centers. And it it felt like most of the tournament they weren't really playing a lot of big guys, which I sort of understand, but also not because, like, if you have Draymond on the team, then sure, play Draymond at the five. But I think there's – 
and this is this is odd that I'm saying this about a team coached by Greg Popovich, but um, just generally, I feel like since the Warriors, there's been a reaction for a lot of teams, a lot of a lot of fans to just hit the like go small button for every team. Like anyone who's like six six to six eight, like that guy can play center. Sure, they should go small, and and most guys aren't that good at it. And I think Harrison Barnes is a three who can certainly play the four, and I just don't think he's a five. And and he was asked to play a lot of five, and I mean we we're, we're the result is Team USA playing in the in the classification bracket, which is not the good bracket. No, yeah, it's it's again. I mean, we can only say how confusing this was, you know, so many times. But uh, looking at Rudy Gobert's uh, stats through the World Cup, uh, averaged only twelve points. That's including. Uh, last night's 21. His top score of 16 points uh, prior to the 21 against US. His top score was 16. Uh, that came against Jordan. So not, not exactly a basketball powerhouse there. And then his only other di- double-digit scoring game came against the Dominican Republic. So uh, he, he, he scored nine points against Germany, uh, obviously a team with some established uh, NBA talent. Nine points against Lithuania. Again, a very strong team with uh, Sabonis and Valanciunas. And then just eight points against Australia. So if you look at that and you look at Rudy Gobert's scores and the fact that he was limited to virtually uh, a non-factor on offense against those three teams that had NBA talent, and then he was completely let off the chain playing on guys that that he was get, uh, that were giving up five or six inches to him, uh, I, I'm not sure that you can look back on this game and say that that... Uh, wasn't the decision that cost USA uh, a medal at this World Cup. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens you know, with Greg Popovich. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's not going to coach Team USA again, but uh, I think if they review this World Cup and look back on that game, that, that'll be certainly uh, a question they would be asking. You want to hear a wild stat from this game? Uh, t- yeah, always. Team USA as a team, obviously. 28 rebounds, which is like just wildly low in, in, in the whole game. But by on his own, in 34 minutes, Rudy Gobert had 16 rebounds. Like yeah. 16 to 28, a person versus a team. Team uh, France in total ends up with 44 boards. But just like that, it should be closer than that one guy compared to a whole team when it comes to rebounds. And I'm pretty sure Gobert out-rebounded then like Team USA's entire starting five, which isn't hard to do considering Harrison Barnes, who again – Played thirty-one, nearly thirty-two minutes at the four and five. Collected a grand total of two rebounds in that time. Like that's that's just not an ideal number. Yeah, sixteen to ten. Uh, that rebounding versus the USA uh, starting lineup and the rebounding leader for Team USA was Donovan Mitchell with six. So uh, yeah, a, a, a tough day for for Team USA with that matchup in particular. But uh, for the Bucks players, um, Chris Milton. Uh, a, a quiet night again, and uh, you know, puzzling usage of him through the World Cup. I would say, uh, still did not start even when Jason Tatum wasn't playing. Um, Greg Popovich went with Joe Harris in the starting lineup. I'm not really sure where the value of starting Joe Harris is, unless uh, he was concerned about the second unit. And as I said a couple of times, a real lack of playmaking in this team. Chris Middleton, potentially the best passer in the team. And, and look, Chris Middleton is, is a good passer. I, I really think that. I think his passing is underrated. But, uh, you know, I think if he's arguably the best passer on the team or best distributor, most unselfish offensive player, then you're probably in a little bit of trouble. You would hope one of your guards uh, would be able to fill that void. But Kemba Walker and Donovan Mitchell, as we spoke about, uh, certainly score first guys and guys that are going to look for, for their own shot. Uh, they got up 32 
uh, shots last night between them. Um, Donovan Mitchell, 23 of those. So, look, maybe that was the reason why Middleton didn't start, but, uh, you know, a, a relatively quiet World Cup for Chris Middleton. He finishes up averaging 8.3 points, 4.5 rebounds and two assists. Uh, keep it in mind, again, he only played 18 minutes, so I, I certainly saw a lot of people... Uh, criticizing Middleton for not scoring the ball. I mean, he played 18 minutes, he scored eight points, he didn't shoot the ball well. Uh, that that was very obvious, and, and that's going to contribute to that. But, uh, you know, if you, if you it, people, you know, always want to talk about points. So if you played 18 minutes and you want to uh, translate his stats to per 36, and he finishes with 16 points, nine rebounds, and four assists, and, uh, you know, it's not that far off where his NBA averages are. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I just think the FIBA World Cup is tough to really judge a player. And watching this team, uh, as I did, uh, I don't know if there's too many takeaways that I, I will uh, drag through to the NBA season from this. No, I think I think you pointed out somewhere on Twitter, and I agree that this team, you know, uh, considering the talent level and everything else, honestly, it was kind of a mess. And it's generally not good to take away, you know, serious long-term basketball takes on players when they're just not in good situations. I, I don't think any player in this in the in the American side at any point except for you know a quarter for Donovan Mitchell some some stints for Kemba and then the the one the the Turkish game part of it for Middleton it just didn't feel like anyone was really comfortable consistently and that's just clearly not a good recipe i mean they they just they, the, the gelling never happened and i, I don't want to say that absolves blame from from Middleton and everyone else i think everyone's a little at fault for that, but it's it's not something where I'm going to go. Oh, Chris Middleton's going to stink this year because he only averaged eight points per game on this weird Team USA team. I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned with it. I mean, he didn't, he didn't look that good. Uh, we both agree on that, but um, it, it's 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 a complicated situation, and it's not something that anyone should really have long term takeaways on. But Kane, when we talk about Chris Middleton not looking good, you know that is the opposite. <laughs> Of, of what you want. You want to look good and every guy, including Chris Middleton, yourself and myself looks better and feels more confident when they put on a suit. There's one problem with that though. Guys keep buying generic off the rack suits. You can't do that. That's why blue wire is pumped. And I am too to partner with Indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit. Indochino is the world's leading made to measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Comfort, very important. If you're looking to get married, they have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. That's crucial. Probably not for me very soon, but hopefully someday. It's so easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America. We'll have to see about Australia. And have them take your measurements personally or measure at home yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. There you go. You're, you're, you're set too. This week, Eurostep listeners get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. All one word. You guys know the drill. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code Blue Wire, for any premium suit for just $369 and free shipping. This is an incredible deal on a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. Folks, check out Indochino for that suit offer. And 
you know, if, if, well, whoa, not yet, Ken. Not yet. If you got another, I just want to quickly say I do need a suit. Um, you know, and it sounds like a great offer. You threw me off a little bit with the uh, the, the marriage uh, comment there. Uh, I felt like the situation escalated a little bit. I'm not sure I'm ready for that, but uh, no, there's, there's not, you know, it sounds like you, a great you're deal. not ready to take our podcast to that level yet. I don't think so. I, I don't think so. But you know, well, let's say let's say let's say uh, we're just going to a different event. We're both wearing suits. What if you reach in that suit pocket, you find $100 in there. Would you pick it up or would you return it to Indochino? Of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners in sporting events and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. That's why you got to do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. You can bet on games after kickoff. Did you know that? You might not have. If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. My guy Evan, I was watching the Saints game with him. He bet on the Texans during the game. That one lost, but you could win. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. There's so many games. They're so fun to watch. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. All one word, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E is the promo code. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. What could be better than that? Well, not much. Uh, sorry to hear about your friend, uh, Evan. I'm a Texans fan, so yeah, that was a little bit rough. But, uh, you know, left a little bit too much time on the on the clock for Breeze. So I let Breeze cook. Cool breeze, baby. Yeah. Well, Watson was too good, too efficient, uh, yeah. I would say, on, on, on that drive. But uh, yeah, back to this Team USA stuff. Uh, Brooke Lopez, I think, is worth touching on. I, you know, obviously, I, I, there's no lot to talk about because uh, he didn't play a lot. Uh, averaged uh, just under ten minutes per game in this one, which again was puzzling. We've already uh, we've already slammed Popovich enough for his use of the bigs, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, Brook Lopez not playing again. Uh, really confusing for me. I, I felt that his game suited the Fever style. Obviously, uh, a great rim protector, great uh, you know paint defender, and and stretches the floor. I do think that part of this was that when Lopez got his minutes, he wasn't able to hit threes. Uh, we know that Greg Popovich is not a big fan of the free ball. He admits that. That's not uh, that's not any revelation there. And Lopez finished two for fourteen from three. Uh, on the tournament, just 14%. Again, I think it's really difficult when you come on the floor so sporadically as, as Lopez did and you're expected to hit threes. But uh, I don't know, a bit of an incomplete uh, grade, I would say, for Lopez from the FIBA World Cup. Yeah, I mean, that just the what you your point you just made to me speaks to, to Middleton too, even though he got a bit more run. You know, if a player, a lot of their strength on offense comes from hitting threes, and, and Middleton's more than that, but Lopez especially, I mean, it's a pretty rare shooter who's just going to come off the bench and be able to hit those shots in really limited minutes. It's just really tough. And I think, you know, obviously there's no imperative to play Brook Lopez. Clearly there wasn't. But for a guy like that to work, I think you have to roll with him for a little longer than two minutes at a time. I, I just think that's not a, a constructive way to go about doing it, doing anything. Uh, and I know there's there's not a lot of time. I mean, there's no 82 regular game season before this tournament for these for the coaching staff to really get to know and trust everybody. But 
it's just it doesn't seem like it's putting a guy like Lopez in the best position to succeed. So I, I agree. This is not again not something I was watching. Going uh, now, I'm really worried about that contract for Brook Lopez because he wasn't able to you know hit more of his threes in his three minutes at a time he was able to play. So uh, again, I also thought it was disappointing. I think I, I would put Lopez right up there with Miles Turner right now in, in terms of skill. I, I'd actually give the edge to Lopez based on what he does on both ends. I think they're close. Obviously. You know, you'd rather have Turner over the next five years or whatever. But right now, I think it's pretty close. I give Lopez a little edge for him to almost not play at all. Very puzzling to me. I, I, I don't know. It, it is what it is. I, I agree. We, we probably bashed uh, legendary, in my opinion, the greatest NBA coach of all time, Greg Popovich, enough. But it is still, to me, looking at it right now, just confusing. Yeah, and I think that you know when you look at these European teams and, and the other really strong teams uh, that are still in. Uh, the World Cup with Argentina obviously being in Allah, then uh, they're playing really modern basketball. And I, I just thought at times watching this Team USA team, uh, they didn't look like they were playing modern basketball. And I, I don't think um, they really followed uh, the trajectory of, of some of these other teams. So anyway, Team USA, that's it. They are done. I, we spoke about it before, right back from when they uh, lost that exhibition game that was a shock. Uh, at the time, we, we had some concerns about this team. We weren't sure uh, how far they were going to go. We were certain that there were going to be challenges along the way, and there certainly were. When you think back to the, I'm going to call it the Ersan Ilyasova game, where Ersan went off and Chris Milton actually uh, finally iced that game with some clutch free throws, uh, there were some concerns, and they never really shook those. So Team USA, uh, out of the World Cup, they will still play Serbia tonight uh, in the battle for fifth place. Fifth or sixth will be determined uh, from this game. I'm not sure if anyone in America, I mean anyone, is going to get up for this one. But it's at 6 a.m. Thursday morning. I have no idea whether any network is even bothering to cover this anymore. They're probably probably throwing in the towel and don't even care anymore. But uh, that's uh, 6 o'clock Thursday morning. The guys will be playing one more game. And just because the World Cup finally over, Brook Lopez will probably play 25 minutes and have 30 (laughs) points because that's the way this is going to pan out. But... The other two Bucks players that were at the World Cup, outside of Ersland, we already touched on him, Giannis and Thanasis, Team Greece, didn't even make the final eight. They did not make the knockout stage. Uh, they were eliminated a couple of days ago, even though they beat the Czech Republic. Uh, they went out on some of those stupid tiebreaker rules that we were talking about. Uh, point differential took them out of the World Cup. They needed to win by 12 points. They just fell short of that. And uh, Giannis, uh, a questionable uh, foul call. Yes, yes, for sure. So Giannis fouled out of that game with uh, several minutes left. Uh, it was his third offensive foul call. As we sort of said last time, only five fouls in FIBA basketball uh, for each player. So three offensive foul calls. Certainly two of them were really, really bad. <laughs> and and just not a call that would happen in any world in, in the NBA Giannis had to watch from the bench as his team couldn't quite get the job done. Uh, And, you know, all in all, I would have to say a pretty disappointing World Cup for Giannis and for Team Greece. I wonder if he's going to get sick of playing international basketball. And it's not just because they didn't win this time. And the frustrating way in which he's officiated over there, which is even like if, if Bucks fans think that Giannis gets a bad whistle in the NBA, they should not watch Team Greece for extended amounts of time if he's on the team because... I think even more frustrating uh, than his American whistle. But the fact that to me, and I think you watch more than me, so feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, 
is you know Giannis, and certainly not all of the uh, Atenecumbos, but Giannis even specifically did not feel like the focal point of that team. And to me, that just feels like a mistake by by Team Greece. And I know you know there's there's a history in in, in Greek basketball and everything else, but I just think if you have the reigning MVP at age 24. Your priority as a country should be let's let's build the whole thing around this guy, and that doesn't seem to be their approach. And you know, maybe I'm this is the entitled American in me talking, but that just does not seem like the right idea for me as a as a. I, I don't want to say neutral watcher. I mean, obviously, I obviously root for Giannis in pretty much any competition, but as someone who's not in, entirely familiar with with the history of Greek basketball, I just and that's my opinion. Yeah, it was interesting to watch. I, look, I, I think that as the tournament went on, and again, there's, there's no excuse for this. This should have been happening from the first game, so I'm, I'm not making excuses for uh, the Greek coach, but I do think as the tournament went on, and it might have been a combination of Giannis just saying, listen, get the hell out of my way. I am the best player here, and I am going to take over. Or it was the Greek coach realizing, oh, hey, we've got maybe the best player in the world. Maybe we should get him the ball a little bit more. But uh, I do think that that, in terms of making Giannis a focal point, getting the ball in his hands and running everything around him, uh, did improve by the last game. I know that that's a ridiculous thing to say, uh, but I, I think it did. Do I think that... Uh, he was getting enough of the ball, and do I think that they were just sending him to the post too often and throwing the ball down to him? Yes, I do. They should have done, uh, tried to get him in transition a lot more. They should have tried to get him at the top and, and creating offense. Uh, they didn't really do that. Um, I also think that he wasn't helped in a lot of ways by poor shooting. Uh, from the Greek team, particularly from the starters. Uh, Papa Nicolau was, uh, did not shoot the ball well uh, in this tournament. Uh, a couple of other guys uh, did. Nicolaitis, in the end, um, was, was was had a pretty good World Cup. But when you talk about it, and you touched on it, some of these, the old guard, I guess, of, of Greek basketball, Kalaitis being one of them, Barus has been another. Uh, I, I think that there was too much focus on getting those guys the balls for sure. And, and those, those players should have realized that if we're going to have any success in this World Cup, it's on the back of Giannis. And I don't think that uh, that was the focus for this team. And in the end, it, it probably did uh, cost them. Um, you, you spoke about the officiating and, and totally agree. I, I don't think that these officials, and first of all, there's been a lot of talk about the officials. So I did point out to a couple of, I think there were Greek people on Twitter. I did point out to them that uh, this wasn't just a Giannis thing. This has been... Every country just about complaining about the officials for different, you know, reasons or, or whatever it may be. But uh, yeah, I just don't think they really knew how to officiate Giannis. Uh, I think that Giannis is such a unique, powerful, strong, dominant player that uh, I think it maybe threw them off a little bit at some of the stuff he was able to do. At the fact that he's almost impossible to defend without fouling, I, I, I just don't think that they handled that well. And when Giannis is coming full steam. Those defenders were not in position to take those charges. And uh, I think that with the the aggression that Giannis plowed into those defenders, I think they instinctively called a charge, which was clearly a wrong call. So uh, I, I think that certainly added to Giannis's frustration. But uh, yeah, not, not a great World Cup for him. I don't think that he would walk away feeling that uh, he played as well as he would have liked. Despite all those factors, he finished with 14.8 points, 8.8 rebounds and 2.4 assists. But again... Uh, you know, uh, this is not something that I watched that World Cup and had any concerns about Giannis moving forward to the to the Milwaukee season. What's interesting here to me, and, and you probably know more than me about this, 
So does Greece how, – how do teams get picked for the 2020 Olympic qualifying tournament? Because that's their only way in now, right? Yeah, so they will have to go through another batch of qualifying uh, events. Um, I don't have the exact timing in front of me right now. Uh, my suspicion is that this is going to clash with uh, some buck stuff, and I'm not 100% sure unless – uh, you know, Giannis goes directly from, um, you know, NBA to Greek player. I, I don't know. I need to check these these dates again. I've got it pulled up here. Unless there's more than just this one. I don't know how they pick the teams for this. But at least here it says the 2020 FIBA World Olympic Qualifying Tournaments are July 6th through the 12th, 2020. Okay. So, yeah. So, that is after the NBA season. So, uh, so I, I would imagine that Giannis would be desperate to play in the Olympics. Um, so that's probably something he's going to play, which, you know, again, I think, uh, it might've been our friend, uh, Adam, Adam McGee that, that pointed that out, uh, when Giannis got, uh, or Greece got eliminated from the world cup that, you know, this means that he may actually play more national team basketball, um, you know, after the Bucks season is done. So yeah, that would be something interesting to see. And, and as you sort of touched on, it'll be interesting to see Giannis's availability to play. Certainly it's something that he said he's always wanted to do. He's had this experience now. How does he feel about that? I'm not sure. I I think that's something that um, we will certainly follow up, but I did want to touch on Thanasis because uh, I'm not sure if you caught that game. That was very, very. That was very early. I think uh, in the states that that game against the Czech Republic. But Thanasis single-handedly just about uh, helped Greece move on to the knockout stage with an 11 point third quarter. Uh, he was absolutely electric. He was hitting threes. He was diving on the floor. He was throwing down dunks. He was getting out in transition. Uh, he, he in moments in this tournament looked like a player. Yeah, uh, I've been excited from what I've the, the very little that I have seen of him in this tournament. And again, this isn't something where if he had a quiet tournament, I would have soured on the signing immediately. But I, I've been a little bit excited. I, I do think that when he plays, and I, I do think he'll get some opportunity, not like an expanded role, but I wouldn't be shocked to see him in at least a few minutes in most games. But I, I think he's going to be a, a useful player. I think he's going to bring energy. I think he's going to bring focus on the defensive end. And maybe just hit some threes. And, you know, from your 14th, 15th guy, however you want to view uh, the Nassas on the team, that's all you really can ask for. I mean, it's not a lot of teams go into the season proud of the 15th guy they got for the roster. You know, so I, I think uh, I think it'll be fun to watch. And I think we can get some cool moments both on and off the court with uh, him and Giannis doing stuff. Yeah, just 12 minutes for Thanasis. So, uh, again, you know, a little bit of a curious decision. They certainly played the veterans a uh, big minute in this team and, and less uh, the bench guys. But, yeah, Thanasis I thought was good in his minutes. And um, like we sort of said, I, I don't know how much you can take away from uh, this tournament with the really key guys because I think it's more difficult for them players in those situations where perhaps uh, – you know, they don't get the normal looks that they're used to at the NBA. Uh, they find it more difficult to mesh, I guess, with these teammates. But for a guy that I think is going to be a real, you know, his main uh, trait for the Bucks if he's going to play is he's going to bring real energy defensively and he's going to run and he's going to provide athleticism. And, and that's what he's going to do if he's going to get minutes when you think about uh, a guy like Pat Connaughton. I mean, that is the, the, the NASA's role, really. That's what he's going to need to do. And Pat Connaughton certainly 
uh, carved out a role playing that way for Bud, and Bud loved him for that. But uh, so from that point of view, to see Thanasis really change a game when Giannis was on the bench and it looked like Greece were in trouble, uh, that's a real positive. And the other thing worth noting, again, very small sample size, but I know there was a lot of talk uh, in the exhibition games when Thanasis hit five threes for the World Cup. He finishes shooting 37%, a really respectable 37%. It was only 1.6 attempts per game there. So that's worth noting that the the sample size is very small. Uh, But again, he didn't play big minutes. So that's certainly not him being shy. He looked like he was very confident with the shot. And uh, 37% is is a decent clip. So, uh, you know, for the Bucs and certainly for Bud, they'll be hoping that that uh, is a real trend. Absolutely. And, you know, We'll take it. <laughs> we'll we'll yeah. take it as evidence. Yeah, exactly. We don't have much else to go on right now. So uh, we know a lot about Chris. We know a lot about Giannis uh, and, and Brooke and Ursan. We don't know a lot about Thanasis. So if he shoots 37% of the World Cup, we are taking it. Uh, we are saying this is something that's going to be consistent through the whole season. And he is going to play uh, some minutes with, with this team moving forward. But uh, I think for the... You know, for Bucks fans that were concerned about these guys playing in the World Cup, uh, still a game to go tonight, as I said, for USA or, to, well, Thursday morning, whenever you guys are listening to this. So uh, one game to get through, and then uh, we can really turn the book uh, from the FIBA World Cup. I will continue watching the FIBA World Cup because Australia are on their way to winning the gold medal. But outside of that, we can then turn the book uh, to the NBA season, which uh, is very exciting. I could not be more excited, excited for our team Australia to win gold. We're going to speak that into existence. I'm Australian now. Uh, I'm not going to do an accent because that just feels offensive and petty, but just trust me, I'm Australian now as well, rooting for our boomers. But uh, unless you have anything else, Kane, I think that wraps up another great episode of the Eurostep. No, yeah, we can we can definitely wrap this up. We will be back next Thursday. I'll be drunk. I'll have been drinking for six days straight after Australia <laughs> wins the gold medal. It's going to be a fun podcast next week, so don't miss that. But uh, yeah, a, a really busy September. This was this was a fun time getting to watch uh, some of these Bucks players. And like I said, uh, now it's really time uh, to stop talking shit about Greg Popovich and moving to the coach of the year, Mike Budenholzer, and the Bucks uh, looking. Uh, to make a, a really, really big run in this uh, this NBA season. Couldn't have said it better myself, my friend. Everyone listening, thank you so much for doing so. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice. Uh, give a rating and review if it allows it. Tell your friends. Have them tell their friends. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Ty Windish and at Kane Pittman. All the good stuff is found on Twitter. Uh, and otherwise, you know, keep on listening, and uh, we'll catch you next week. 